or that is in the water underneath the earth. So it's a strict uh, exhortation by Moses directly from God, or this is, the again, the captured audible voice of God upon Mount Sinai that would later be written on the tablet of stone by the finger of God. The fifth verse, Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them, for I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and the fourth generation of them that hate me. And this is also replicated again in Leviticus chapter 26. And I'm going to read just one verse of Scripture there. And then I'll take a moment to talk about this. Here again, as the Levitical law comes forth under the inspiration of God, and Moses says face-to-face encounter with God when he went up on the mountain for 40 days, not to just receive the Ten Commandments, but also to receive the law of commandments, Here the exhortation to the people of Israel is you shall make no idols nor graven image, neither rear you up a standing image, neither shall you set up any image of stone in your hand to bow down unto it, for I am the Lord your God. Now, church family, I can't tell you when in history man that had been driven eastward out of a garden that had been called Eden where he had had privileges to walk and to speak and to fellowship and to be in covenant with the one true God. But because of his sin in the garden, man, when he was driven out, I cannot tell you that from that day forward till the very first time that someone sought to worship or to create a God that they would that would mold after a thought or an imagination in their own heart or after uh, a, perhaps some part of the animal creation or the sun and the moon and the stars. I don't know when that day was, but I know that throughout history, man with the desire to worship has oftentimes filled that desire to worship by creating images, false images or Uh, false gods or idols and they have actually expended themselves and sacrifice to these idols and when God formed first a covenant with Abraham what made that covenant so unique was that the invisible God was revealing himself to one man and in doing so he was cutting in his flesh a covenant that there were there was not a pantheon of gods as the culture around him but there was one true God the invisible God who has through time began to reveal himself through precepts and principles first through the written word and then through the manifested person of Christ Jesus but God made that covenant with Abraham and he extended that covenant to his descendants the children of Israel and on that fateful day God is telling Israel I have chosen you to be distinct and I'm going to send you in many of you are familiar with this he said I'm going to send you into a land that is inhabited by seven nations greater and stronger than you are and he's what God warned them of their practices because they were a idolatrous people every tribe every nation of the Canaanite people were idolatrous in practice and in doing so God gave them instruction to say listen you're going to live in the land that they used to live but you can't adopt their ways or their practices because they will pull you into this idolatrous lifestyle and you'll begin to follow their ways and you'll begin to to practice their 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 lifestyle and it will bring sin into your lives matter of fact let me read that with you it's in exodus 34 let's just follow it as god through moses gives instruction to israel this warning because god had chosen them to be his own and this is just setting the table for just a few moments and we're going to spend a little time building this context here Exodus 34, verse, if we were to read in verse 11, it's not posted, but verse 12 is where we'll begin. But in verse 11, speaks about the Amorite, the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite, the seven nations that were in the land of Canaan. He said, take heed to thyself. 
12th verse. Lest thou, you can see it on the screen, take heed to yourselves, lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land where you are, and lest it be a snare in your midst. Let's, let's roll that. I'll try to read with you here. But you shall destroy their altars, break their sacred pillars, and cut down their wooden images. For you shall worship no other God, for the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous God. 15th verse. Lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, and they play the harlot with their gods, and make sacrifice to their gods, and one of them invites you to eat of his sacrifice. And you take his daughters for your sons, and his daughters play the harlot with their gods, and make your sons the harlot with their gods. 17th verse, you shall make no molded gods for yourself. So God gives strong, explicit language, both in the Ten Commandments and also in the Mosaic Law, to the people of Israel. You're going to be different. You're going to live different. You're not worshiping a God made by human hands. You're not working, wor worshiping an object of creation. God said, I'm the one true God. I'm the invisible. God. You remember I've told you before the significance of that day on Mount Sinai when the audible voice of God echoed from the mountain with thunders and lightnings and the cloud and the mountain burned and shook and it was God revealing himself as the God of all creation that there was no God but the one true God and God is reaffirming to his chosen people here that God is warning them when you go into the land be very careful not to develop such a kindred with the inhabitants of the land that you copy their ways. Deuteronomy, just real quickly, and then we're, I'm going to move quickly, but Deuteronomy chapter 4, these words are echoed. Now, bear with me. I know you're saying, Pastor, this isn't quite that where I thought you were going today on Thanksgiving. Stay with me for just a little while. Deuteronomy 4, verses uh, 14 through 20. We're going to just glance at just real quickly. Here Moses says, And the Lord commanded me at that time to teach you statues and judgments that you might do them in the land whither you go over to possess it. Take you therefore good heed unto yourselves, for you saw, God, now look, here's what God says, for on that day, he said, you saw no manner of similitude on that day that the Lord spake out of you, uh, to you in Horeb out of the midst of the fire. God gave them no opportunity to create a graven image. He gave them no visible image of his, uh, of whatever God looks like in, in whatever realm of whatever, if there is any way with the, the natural eye that you could see God, he said, I gave you no image that you could look at and then you could replicate it because God is the invisible God he said so that you didn't see any image and he declared unto you his covenant when he commanded you to perform the ten commandments the Lord commanded me at that time to teach you statues and judgments that you might do them take you therefore good heed to yourselves for you saw that no manner similitude lest you corrupt yourselves 16th verse and make a graven image the similitude of a figure or the likeness of a male or a female the likeness of any beast that is on the earth the likeness of any winged fowl that flieth in the air strong exhortation here that God gives Moses is also reflected here the 23rd and 24th verse take heed to yourselves lest you forget the covenant of the Lord your God which he made with you and he made with the, and you make a graven image. So these are strong words. I mean, there's no mistaking this. This is where God just simply said to a people, he said, I'm about to send you into this land that I have chosen for you to dwell in, a land that I watch over. In Deuteronomy 11, God said, I watch over the land. I'll watch you dwell there. I'll bless you in everything that you set your hand to do. I'll bless your storehouse, your field, your basket. You'll be protected. Angels will go in front of you. Angels will come behind. You'll be blessed when you get up. And you'll bless, be blessed when you lay down. God said, I love you that much. 
Come on, an awesome God. But he said, but I want to warn you that the people that dwelt there before have pagan practices and they form gods of their own desires and thoughts and they hew them out of wood or stone and they, and they worship them and they practice idolatrous practices. And God said, I'm a jealous God. God said, I'm a jealous God. And he said, if you're not careful, if you follow their ways, the land itself will rise up. We didn't read this, but it's in Leviticus. He said, the land itself will rise up and it will spew you out the way it spewed the inhabitants that dwelt there before you arrived. And so, I mean, in all essence, church family, you couldn't miss it. It was obvious. God said, don't worship any other but me. And God put a means for them to worship him through the tabernacle. That's why God said you can't have but one altar. People wanted to worship in different ways. I mean, God said, that's fine. But God said, if you're going to bring sacrifice, you bring it to my altar. You can't just stay at home and make the sacrifice your way because he knew what was in man. And he knew what man's tendencies would begin to lean to. But if you follow the people of the nation of Israel, a people chosen by God, it is filled with the practices of idolatry. They fell prey to the very thing that God warned them of. It's the thing that plagued them greater than any other plague in all of their history was they succumbed to the tendencies to give in to the people that dwelt in the land before them. Pagan deities. You can read the Old Covenant. You can read the, in the book of 1 Kings and 2 Kings and 1 Chronicles and 2 Chronicles, the journey of the children of Israel, how they fell prey to idolatry. And they began to worship other gods. And they began to build and erect shrines and tabernacles and they begin to burn you know incense on every hill and they begin to follow Baal and Ashtoreth the pagan gods and deities of the Canaanite people they begin to practice pagan sexual practices they begin to do all the things that when your mind if you could close your eyes and if you could think about pagan perverted practices that people have practiced historically in worship to an idol and you think about that as just being in the gentile or the canaanite people but the very people of god chosen by god that agreed to a covenant spoken to them and that was confirmed by blood the day that they accepted the covenant the bible says moses sprinkled the blood on the book and the people confirming the covenant that they were in covenant with the invisible god and they would follow him and him only and they fell prey to seduction and it wasn't long before again people chosen by God were worshiping and sacrificing before all of these idols and I'm not talking about just some type of little ritual I'm talking about as paganistic as you can think of as brutal as you can think about I'm talking about human sacrifice I'm talking about children being burned in the fire to Shemosh and these pagan god Molech the god of the Amorite people the, the children of Israel took their own children who were blessed God had said I'll bless your womb I bless your offspring your children and your children's children they took their own children and they passed them through the fire and sacrificed to pagan gods and ultimately it arrived at the place where God dispersed his people And drove them out of the land that he had given them possession of. And if you follow that in scripture, when you think about when they were actually driven, when Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian armies came against Israel in 586 BC and destroyed the temple and destroyed the city, at the core of the reason why that the destruction happened was because of the people's idolatrous practices. It's hard to follow. If you ever take the time to read it, it's not exciting. In scripture, it grieves your heart. 
to see, and I'm going to omit some of the passages of Scripture only for the sake of time, but I would like to just very real quickly, um, I'm going to omit those passages there in Isaiah 44 and in Isaiah 46 and in Psalm 115, and we'll just jump to 2 Kings just real quickly. But those passages in Psalms and in Isaiah, that's where the, the authors there said they, 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 they took wood. They, they took wood and they said, okay, here's a log. And they said, I'll take half of it and I'll cut it up in firewood. And I'll go and I'll warm my house and I'll also cook my meal over it. That's a great thing. And then with the other half, I'll take out instruments and I'll chisel me out of God. And I'll take it home and I'll set it up and erect it in my house. And then I'll offer incense to it and sacrifice to it. And I'll create it after whatever imagination of my own heart. Maybe I'll make it after a star in the sky. Maybe I'll make it after the sun or the moon. Or maybe some creature that I saw or some beast of the field. Or, or just maybe it may be the, the, the imagination of my mind. And the psalmist said this. He said about idols. He said they are nothing more than inanimate objects. He said they have eyes that they see not. They have ears but they hear not. They have a mouth, but they speak not. Come on. And so God gives continual reproof. And ultimately, as we read in 2 Kings chapter 17, let's follow this real quickly before we start to shift for just a moment. For so it was that the children of Israel had sinned against the Lord their God, who had brought them up out of the land of Egypt from, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and they had feared other gods. Here's the idolatry. Let's follow this real quickly. And had walked in the statutes of the nations whom the Lord had cast out from before the children of Israel and the kings of Israel, which they have made. And the children of Israel secretly did against the Lord their God things that were not right. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? That's a powerful word right there. They secretly did things that were not right. And they built for themselves high places in all their cities from watchtower to fortified city. Tenth verse, they set up for themselves sacred pillars and wooden images on every high hill and under every green tree. And they burned incense on all the high places like the nations whom the Lord had carried away before them. And they did wicked things to provoke the Lord unto anger. And for they served idols of which the Lord had said to them, you shall not do this thing. Let's keep going for just a minute more. For the Lord testified against Israel and against Judah by all of his prophets with the, every seer saying, turn from your evil ways. You see, God's word was given to protect them. Because the practices of the Canaanites were destructive to human life. And also to, uh, they, they were putting their faith in an in a idol who could not see, hear, nor deliver in any capacity. My statues according to all the law which I commanded your fathers, which I sent to you by my servants, the prophet. Nevertheless, they would not hear. But they stiffened their necks like the necks of their fathers who did not believe in the Lord their God. They would not allow God to turn them in the right way. They rejected his statues his covenant that he made with their fathers and their testimonies, which he had testified against them. They followed idols. They became idolaters and they went after the nations who were all around them, concerning whom the Lord had charged them that they should not do like them. So they left all the commandments of the Lord their God made for themselves a molded image, two calves, remember the golden calves, made a wooden image and worshiped all the host of heaven and served Baal. They caused their sons and their daughters to pass through the fire practice witchcraft soothsaying sold themselves to do evil in the sight of the lord to provoke him to anger last verse therefore the lord was very angry with israel and he removed them from his sight there was none left but the tribe of judah alone and if you read 19th verse it would have said and they too began to follow these difficult ways 
So Israel's failure throughout Scripture resulting in their dispersal from the land was their practice of idolatry. When you follow that journey in Scripture, then you arrive somewhere after many hundreds of years and their return to the land and their, 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 their uh, reactivation of worship. You know, you think about idolatry to a degree in the New Testament beginning in the Gospels. We don't read a lot about, we don't read a lot about idolatry in Jesus' teachings because the people of Israel, when they regathered, began to really practice a strict adherence to the law. That's where the Pharisaical system began to evolve. It was, it was Ezra's reformation. Ezra just led the people and said, we can't practice. We got to stop living like the heathen. Come on. And so you don't hear a lot about it in Jesus' teaching. I'll refer to it in just a moment. But now, by the time Paul the apostle begins to go forth with the power of the gospel after Christ's death, burial, and resurrection and take the gospel to the Gentile world, then you begin to see the subject of idolatry brought up again. Matter of fact, he was at Athens one time, and he saw the whole city given to idolatry. The Bible says it moved him in his heart so much. And he said, he said I preached to you about the the, the one God that you couldn't even build an altar for because he's the invisible God, the one true God. And so Paul addressed, even by the time he's writing to the church, when he's writing letters to the, to the, to the Gentile churches, he's forced to pick up the subject of idolatry. And you read in 1 Corinthians 8, 9, and 10, Paul, the apostle, it's hard for us to fathom, we can't even fathom, that Paul would address idolatry in a Christian church. But he's writing to them, you know. He even used this terminology right here. In Romans 10, I think we're going to put it up here on the 14th verse. I think he said, flee idolatry. He warned them of, he said, if you go, to a, uh, if you go out and people invite you to go out and they give you something to eat and they don't tell you really anything about it, it's okay to eat it. But he said, if you've blessed it, he said, but if you find out it was offered and sacrificed to an idol, you need to, you need to avoid that for your own conscience or for the conscience of the other person. But he said, in this, as he went further in his writing, he just put these words right here. He said, flee from idolatry. Now, it's hard for us to think about that. And we think, you know, that, that, is it possible that people would bring the practice of idolatry into the Christian church. Here's the reality. It's possible that as these Gentiles who are not brought up with the knowledge of the one true God and had served false gods, when they had gotten saved, they came in and they, until they learned the word of God, they were still bringing in some of their previous practices. So God through Paul has given instruction that you need to leave that to the old man, flee from idolatry. Let me translate it again. Ephesians 4 and 17, he said that you don't live like the other Gentiles live who walk in the vanity of their mind. You don't follow futile things. You don't follow false ways and practices, and you don't serve these pagan deities. You come to Christ, you become solely his. You surrender to, to the lordship of Jesus Christ, and you leave all that other behind. And so flee from idolatry. Now, as I begin to think about this, I'm going somewhere. I know you're saying, Pastor, just hurry up and arrive at your conclusion. Well, it just makes it so much better to arrive at the conclusion when you understand the journey. Now, let me go a little bit further here. As a pastor, I have used the metaphor of idolatry before. Paul the Apostle used it in his writings. He said covetousness is akin to idolatry. Meaning that if you so love 
wealth and riches and the lust of other things enter in so much to your life that that can be uh, idolatry. Now, what I have typically seen in the church when I have uh, when I when I have observed it and listened to it from other pastors and even myself, the metaphor of idolatry as we read these passages, flee from idolatry, and we try to make it applicable to our culture today. And we don't have the influence of the Greek goddess Diana. We don't have those things, the goddess Aphroditus that they had at Corinth. We don't have that effect upon us. And so we use it as a metaphor. And what I have typically heard is that where people say, well, anything that takes the place of Christ in your heart and life can be an idol. And I've heard things like, um, you know, uh, pursuit after entertainment or uh, maybe woo pig suey or go bulldogs. Or, come on, or outdoors things, people's passion for something that is so great that they neglect their spiritual principles, right? We've all thought of that, correct? But I'm telling you, there's a new idolatry in the church today. Now we're getting somewhere. There's a new idolatry. It's really not new. It's been here all along. But, but, but it's creeping back into the evangelical church today and that's what i want to talk about there's a new thing that we're going to flee from flee from idolatry and I'm going, to, I'm going to share with you what it is in just a moment it's it's actually just highlighted just very briefly in the writings of the apostle paul and i'm going to take it i'm going to make it really applicable to our culture who we are in america today but i'd like to read for just a moment of time that passage of scripture if we can post those just real quickly galatians 1 chapter or verses six through nine let's put this up here i marvel that you are being turned away so soon from him who called you into the grace of christ to a different gospel so here he says a different gospel king james would say another gospel which is not another gospel but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of christ eighth verse Let's go. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than that which we have preached to you, let him be accursed. Ninth verse. But we have said before, so now I say to you again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than that which you have received, let him be accursed. So Paul gives strong exhortation to the Galatian people. And in its historical context, he's speaking against the Judaizers who are blending the, Juda- you know, the, the Judaism of the law. They're bringing that or the, 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 the Jews practice of the law into the New Testament church. And Paul is seeking to sever that in the New Testament church. Don't allow that to be preached. Don't walk in it. Don't accept it. But let's read this other passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 because it captures just real quickly our words that I want to just kind of build upon for just a moment. 2 Corinthians 11 and 4. For if he who comes preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached, or if you receive a different spirit which you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you may not well put up with it. So here is the warning from the apostle. He said there's another gospel out there. And there's another Jesus out there. And if you're not very careful, you're going to find yourself at giving allegiance to that other gospel or to that other, are y'all hearing what I'm saying, to that other Jesus. Let me tell you, say, Pastor Brown, what is this idolatry that you're talking about that is in the church today? I'll tell you what it is. It's a Jesus idolatry. A Jesus idolatry. What do you mean by that, Pastor Brown? A Jesus idolatry. Jesus is not an idol. People make an idol out of Jesus. What, what do you mean? Somewhere under here is my Jesus. He's a good-looking Jesus, too. This is a European Jesus. That's a good-looking Jesus right there. 
There's a Jesus idolatry in the church today. Pastor, what do you mean? Uh, Jesus, because we have a lot of people that are in the evangelical church today that are professing allegiance to a Jesus that they have created in their own mind. That they've got him as an object that when they want him and they want to look good and they want to look religious, they grab him up. Because it's time to go to church and serve my Jesus. Come on, it's like milk. You got milk, you got Jesus. Come on. I got Jesus today. It's good. Oh, God is so good to me and my family and my house. Oh, the Lord, he is good. Because I got him here because he's here, but he don't speak to me. Because I don't hear what he says. I don't do what he says. I don't obey his word. I just got him. I'll mold him and make him to look what I want to look like. This particular Jesus is a good-looking European Jesus. But if I need a Jewish Jesus or a black Jesus or any other thing, I'll just make Jesus to look however and to say whatever I want him to say, he'll say. He's almost like, you know what we've got? Almost, I wanted this, but it's hard to come up with. I wanted the ventriloquism dummy. I I don't even want to say it, but a dummy Jesus. Because that's what we want. Because we want a Jesus that when we don't want to hear what he has to say, we can wrap him up in a bag and put him away and put him under the table because we don't want to listen to what he has to say. See, we got Jesus when we want to come to church, when we want to look good and be religious. It's time for Thanksgiving. It's time for Christmas. It'll be soon. You know, one day it'll be Easter. We want to look religious, so we got Jesus. But we say, Jesus, you know what? It's Friday night, and it's about time, you know, to go back down to the VFW. And I'm sorry, but I got to leave you at home this week because I got to go do my own thing, dance to my own beat, and be that old man that... I'm preaching better than you are shouting. I'm just telling you, real world, that's what's going on in America today. People are defining Jesus to be whatever they want him to be. We call on him when we need deliverance. That's all we want. We just want him to get us out of bad situations. First of all, we just want him to be our get out of hell free card. That's all we want him for. We just want him to be our savior. But we don't want him to be our Lord. Are y'all hearing me today? And it's not just in the evangelical church. It's in this church. I'm telling you, as your pastor, as your friend, I know. You say, Pastor, what, what, how, wait a minute. Wait, because how do I know? Because there are folk in this church that practice fornication. Like the idolaters of old. And shack up together. And then show up and worship Jesus. Take him out. Listen, I know this may not be the kind of preaching you're looking for before Thanksgiving, but it's what God laid on my heart. Because if we're going to have a genuine, sovereign move of God in this great nation called America, it's got to start at the house of God. And we need to see men and women get real and stop making an idol of the one that bowed his head on a cross called Calvary and gave his life's blood to take you out of the idolatrous practices. So not that you would make a little deity out of him so that you could bow down to him when everybody was around and you just wanted to. That's not why he came to give his last one. He came to take you out of the sin of Adam, to make you a whole new creature, to make you distinctly different, a child made in his likeness and in his image. That's why Christ came, to give his last blood, not so that we would have an idol, 
that would, we, if he gets ready to speak to me, one thing I learned about Christ, here's what I know in the little bit that I know. God, through Christ, is synonymous with his word. With his word. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. Come on, the same was in the beginning with God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glories as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. We read earlier about that law that was given by Moses. For the law was given by Moses. John continued to write the first chapter of the gospel that bears his name. The law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. The word of God. John the revelator also wrote in the epistle that bears his name. He said, our eyes have seen, our hands have handled the word of life. The word. He said, there are three that bear record in heaven. And there are three that bear record on the earth. And he said, it is the blood. It is the water and it is the spirit and they are bound together in one and it is the word that is in agreement with the spirit and so if I confess that I love Jesus then my life needs to conform to the revealed word of God for my life not create an idol to conform it to my image but I have a faith that I conform my life to his image craziness that's going on in the world today craziness that's going on People that justify. You know what we want? We want justification from our sin, but we don't want deliverance from our sin. That's what we want. We want somebody to justify us in our sin because we have a muted Jesus. A muted Jesus that we choose to not listen to him. We just carry him when we need to carry him. We just hold him when we need to hold him. And we occasionally pray to him if we think that we should. That's not going to work in the eyes of God. Let me tell you just a little. Let's, let's post a couple of scriptures about what did Jesus have to say. Did Jesus say, I came to be an idol to you? Let's look what he said. Why did you call me Lord, Lord? Here's the gospel that Paul said you need to preach. He said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Aren't our, isn't our lives supposed to be a reflection of his glory? Doesn't Christian being Christ-like? Come on. Does it mean, I'm not saying we're perfect. I'm not saying we never have mess ups, but I'm saying that we strive after his likeness, that he will change us into his image. Not that we will erect an image and that we want it to, to look like and be like and act like. Why do you call me Lord? He said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does. Are you hearing what I'm saying? This is what Jesus said. Now, the Jesus that many have in the church today doesn't speak this way because they won't listen to him. He speaks through his word. And his word says, not everybody that says, Lord, Lord, not everybody that says, I went to church, not everybody that says, I had the sermon series, not everybody that says, I was all contemporary. No, he said, if you're going to enter the kingdom of heaven, you're going to have to do the will of my Father who is in heaven. Conform your life to Christ. Let's go a little bit farther today before we conclude this morning. It's been in my heart to bring this to you for several weeks now because as a pastor, as a pastor, I see, I see what happens in the lives of men and women. I see, and I'm just being honest. I'm just being honest. We, we are partly reveling like Israel before the golden calf. We're drinking wildly and stripping off all of our clothes, acting a fool. And then on Sunday, and then on Sunday, we just pull out Jesus. Are y'all hearing me today? And this is me. I know this is, I know I'm not getting everything just right, but I'm telling you it's right. 
It's right because as a pastor, I'm walking with people and I see it. I get so frustrated. I get frustrated for them because they never arrive at the place where they become conformable to the image of Jesus, where they begin to be changed in character and conduct and their life is being spent for his glory. We pray to him only on our conditions. We bend him, his doctrine, his teaching to our likes and our dislikes. Scripture teaches we are to conform our image to Christ. We have conformed his image to our distortions. Jesus said, why do you call me Lord and do not the things which I say? He said, not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father who is in heaven. Let's listen in closing as the apostle Paul gives us exhortation. Here in 2 Corinthians 5, this should be the cry of a genuine born-again believer in Christ Jesus. This should be our cry as we read this. It says here, And that he that died for all, they which should live, should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Listen very carefully. If you are born-again Christian, if you are genuinely saved, not just carrying the idol of Jesus around, but you are genuinely born again, then you no longer live for yourself. Come on, there's a passage that says that we were bought with a price. Therefore, we glorify God with our body and our spirit. He said in this passage that we should no longer live our lives. It's not about us anymore. We don't do what we want to do. We don't say what we want to say. We say, God, I want to say what you want me to say. I want to go where you want me to go. And I want to do what you want me to do. Come on, you're the potter and I'm the clay. Mold me and shape me in thine own way. Come on, somebody. So here the exhortation is that we should live unto Jesus. And then he said in Galatians, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, but yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, how do I live? I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me. And gave himself for me. Aaron, join me on the platform if you would in closing here today if you can. Is Aaron here? Dale, you're going to have to just pitch in, buddy. In closing today. Listen, I didn't come with a great theological word for you. I came because as a pastor, I'm concerned of what people are doing in this context. In days gone, if you're unchurched, now if you're, if you're heavily churched, you're influenced by the doctrines of the church in which you go to. The doctrinal beliefs of that particular structure, denomination, you're, you're, you're heavily influenced by them. But there are so many people in our culture today that are not necessarily heavily churched. But then they still believe in God. And what they've done is they have developed their own theology. So now again, for years, our theology was shaped by the doctrinal beliefs of the particular churches that we were brought up in. But now that we're kind of living in this, in this uh, culture in America that's not churched any longer. So people have a belief in God, but they form their ideology slash theology according to the dictates of their own mind. And so they just form a Jesus theology that Jesus is just there when I need him to be there. And he's just like this, you know, this, you know, this superhero. I pray and I'll ask him to kind of just show up if I need him. And that's about all. Or if I want to look religious for a while or if I'm in crisis for a while, I'll just take him up. But I don't bend my life, conform my will to his will. That's a dangerous belief system based upon the word of God. 
Jesus himself said those words. He said, why do you call me Lord and not do the things that I tell you to do? I have found out that becoming a believer in Christ is about submitting my will to the Father's will. It's about dying to myself that I might live unto God. The life which I now live in the flesh, the Apostle Paul said, I live by the faith of the Son of God who died and gave himself for me. As a pastor, I'm, I, I'm so perplexed with what's going on in our culture today. Let, let, me, let me see if I can just, just drop this down in here just real quickly. This is just real. This is real today. I'm not even using really strong biblical language to share with you the things that I want to share. But in today's culture, our sexuality is just so open. Nothing's hidden. And we're practicing it like it's not sacred and should be bound to a covenant between one man and one woman. And people get entangled in marriage. And I understand some, there, are, there are times when people fall. I understand all those things. But they, they, they want to have a clean break from this before they're already dabbling over here. Listen, this is real today. And, and, and then, and all the while, we're just kind of coming in church, worshiping with everybody else because we're just worshiping our idol, Jesus. Because if Jesus was really your Lord, you start bringing changes to your life. If he's really your Lord. I'm not saying you won't have challenges to go through. I won't, I'm not saying you don't have to make some major decisions, life-altering decisions that takes a lot of prayer and grace to be able to accomplish. But, but I'm telling you, the thing that I am grieved about is just this gross negligence. No, nobody, they don't seem to care because they just got their own ideology. They justify themselves in their own mind. Let me tell you, honey, you better read the Word of God. You better study the Word of God. That same jealous God is still jealous for you today. Just as he was jealous over ancient Israel, he's jealous for you today. And I'm telling you, there's going to come a day when we're going to all stand before God. And we're going to have to give account for the things that were done in this body, the Bible says. And we've got to flee from idolatry, even from creating an idol of the one that we know and love. And practicing it in the church. Christianity is about recognizing that we were sinners who needed a Savior. And as we turn to Him, He becomes both Savior and Lord. That's what Jesus is. That's who Jesus is. He came to the earth the first time as Savior. But when He comes back, He's coming as Lord. And so we can either bend our will and our hearts and we can yield to Him now. The Bible says there will come a day when every knee is going to bow. And every tongue will be forced to confess his lordship. And it won't be to an idol, but it will be to a living Savior, Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. So today, I feel in my heart as your pastor and as your friend, and just, just knowing the complexity of what happens in the church today. Because I'm in the church. I'm not outside the church trying to get in. I'm in the sheepfold. People are coming and going all the time. And different things are happening simultaneously. And new people are coming in. And, and I'm just challenging you today. Don't make an idol of Jesus. Don't make an idol of Jesus. Surrender your heart to him. Teenager, that's for you today. Young adult, that's for you. Grandma and grandpa, that's for you today. 
Make Jesus Christ, Lord, our heads bowed, our eyes closed in the presence of God today.